It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. We've got a great show on the way for you today. Brian, great to be with you. How are you, sir? Oh, doing great. Uh, cruising into 2021. I thought it was going to be different this year, but uh, so far the indications are otherwise. <laughs> indications of just kind of the same same craziness. If yeah, just will. pandemonium every, everywhere you turn. Yes. politics and, and the Seems like to be flowing right into the into the new year i don't know why we thought the ma- you know calendar date was magical and that everything would just decide to end and change on the 31st like the world around us doesn't really make resolutions and change its life at the on january 1st you know well and and that's actually a good uh, segue in today's topic because we're going to talk about behavioral finance and psychology and new year's resolutions are very much like that it's like oh now this this new year has started i'm going to get my life in order i'm going to get in shape and a week ago, we were eating too many uh, slices of pecan pie and uh, gorging <laughs> ourselves on, on all kinds of food. So, yeah, it's it's uh, there's nothing magical about the date. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. So behavioral finance, obviously, I don't know if people go around thinking about their behaviors and how it impacts their finances every single day of their life and what that has to do with retirement. And we kind of have this whole conversation that we've had here on the show before, Brian, about how you know, we have the math elements of what makes sense financially in some decisions and then how emotions play a role in that decision-making process. That's the, the human behavior side. And mm-hmm. I know that you want to kind of analyze those two different sides of the coin, but in particular today, also focus a little bit on about how that then leads us into a good discussion about Roth contributions and taxes. And so how math, human behavior, and taxes all sort of intertwine. I'm looking forward to where you're, uh, where you're going with today's show. Sounds captivating, doesn't it? It does. It does, yeah. <laughs> we're we're so. juicing up a tax conversation with some uh, really, I think, intriguing talk on, on be- human behavior and that kind of thing. Well, uh, behavioral finance is a topic that it gets a lot of coverage. It's written about uh, quite a bit, and I think the I think the last real book I read on the topic was by Dan Ariely, if I'm pronouncing his name uh, correctly. But he wrote Predictably Irrational back probably a little over a decade ago, and it's just a good book about how we do different things and make bad decisions because of mental anchorings and benchmarks and and things that we do that are probably more psychological phenomenon, but we think that we're behaving rationally. We think we're smart enough to, you know, look at a calculation and say, oh, that makes sense. I'm, I'm going to do that. Yeah, you know, Again, kind of like the New Year's resolution. It's like, oh, I'm going to start the exercise program. I'm going to stick with it. And it doesn't take long in, unless you've got some things in place to keep you on track or have some accountability you know, it's, it's very easy to, to wander off. And so uh, Dan Aurelia is now a, uh, he's on the board at, at a company called Capital with a, a Q-A-P-I-T-A-L. They got to get tricky with their, their spellings. But he's really working with uh, this new bank on, on ways to help people use behavioral finance to save more. And there, there's some simple things that you can do like automation, you know, just automate your savings or set aside a money that you might need for taxes or a different savings goal and uh, you know, using separate accounts. So you get money into the, if you're, if you're trying to buy a boat, you, you're regularly contributing to an account that uh, you can use to pay for a, a particular expense or something like that. And we, we do things like that with 
529 plans for college, or we might have a you know a little set aside fund or a, a, some money in the mattress or a mason jar at home. These forces can be at work whether you're aware of them or not. So I'm going to try to dovetail my advocation for the Roth 401k and Roth conversions with some of the behavioral finance steps to say, I might mathematically might not be making the correct decision from a purely mathematical standpoint, but from a reality of how it hits what's going to happen in the future, it it may well be better to do some things that seem irrational today. Oh, I, I be careful now. You're giving us the license to do irrational things. That's that that, that could no, lead I to a very interesting seem, rest of the January. I said they may seem irrational today. <laughs> oh, okay, all right, all right. That's an important distinction, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. All right. So, what are what are some of those things that may seem irrational, or or that that direction that we might be headed in, but that uh, actually might make some sense? Well, one of the big things, obviously, in the challenges to savings is the now versus later or delayed gratification. Obviously, we all want to get the maximum enjoyment, the maximum benefit, and receive today and as soon as possible the benefits of all of our hard work. And we understand academically that we need to save for the future, but it's it's one of those goals that it's easy to push out. It seems like you can you can get to it later. Something always comes up in the short term. And therefore, it's possible that you may have the best plan for contributing X amount to your 401k, X amount to the brokerage account, X amount to, to Roths. Emergencies can come up or, or uh, alternative or competing purchases could come up that makes it very easy to, to access these funds uh, beforehand. And uh, I, it's all too easy for money that makes it to your checking account to get spent. So today I was driving into work and I've, I, I'm not one to spend big on cars. I've got a 2004 Toyota Land Cruiser. I've just rolled over to 271,000 miles on it. Nice. And I love that thing every month because I don't have a payment. I haven't had a payment on it in years. A couple repairs, you know, here and there will we'll keep that thing just going and going. But a while back, the brakes went out and I had to get those replaced. Well, the same alarm bell went off today. So whatever part they replaced, it, I think they used a used one that they had refurbished. So it might be going out again. And, and it was uh, to, to not have to spend the thousands of dollars for the whole component. But when that light went off, I was like, ah, God, it's a hassle to get this thing fixed. And I've got to take it up to Atlanta. They've got a specific... A shop that I use to, to get all my repairs done more economically. And it, the thought crossed my mind, maybe it's time to, to buy a new car. Maybe I need to you know, make the, the, the jump to something more reliable because this is getting to be kind of a hassle. So every time you turn around, there's going to be some sort of temptation or need that if you have access to your money, you might go make purchases in the short term that don't, that don't serve that long term as well. Yeah, I think we've all been through uh, been through that before, and uh, maybe you know on a daily basis are faced with like micro decisions that are, you know, similar to that car one where the the bell goes off. We go for what's a little bit easier, what brings us that momentary joy, and we can easily extrapolate that even beyond finances to see where that happens all, all the time. So yeah, that's uh, that's a big one. Uh, that delayed gratification that's not something that's really uh, you know as valued these days as maybe in times past, and. If we continue to make that choice, Brian, the 
oh, let me go ahead and get the new car. Oh, let me go ahead and do this. We continue to go for that instant gratification rather than the delayed gratification that I guess catches up to us after a while, right? Yeah. And, and you know, there's there's some allure to uh, doing things like uh, 401k contributions and, and getting a deductible contribution today. And that that's kind of the big one is, which is better to have, you know, a deduction today, you're getting a higher contribution into your 401k, potentially you're getting the employer match, and you're still getting the bigger take home pay that now, if you just truly did the math, and let's say you're still in a high income tax bracket, you're in your peak earning years, maybe the kids are off to college, and you, you don't have the deductions and things that you had in the past, you know, mathematically, they'd say if you're earning at a higher income tax bracket, you should take the tax deduction today, save in the you know, regular 401k or IRA, and then the additional money that makes it through, you should put into a brokerage account or, or some other type of savings. Well, as I've been talking about, a lot of times that money that makes it to your checking account finds a way to get spent. There's an emergency that comes up and, and it gets justified to, to spend that money. At the end of the day, you're sharing that 401k contribution, that traditional IRA contribution with Uncle Sam. A percentage of that is theirs today, tomorrow, forever, always. And they have a plan and have made some changes that if we end up in higher tax brackets, a lot of the logic gets turned on its head or you know, potentially comes back around to, to give you more of a, a benefit from paying the tax today. Paying the tax today versus paying the tax tomorrow, certainly different payoffs and different benefits. Does it you know, pay to have a mix of those different types of contributions, Brian? Is it okay to have a little bit of delayed gratification and a little bit of instant gratification? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, life's, life's too short to be depriving yourself every, every step of, of the way. You, we we you wanna, can't delay it all, right? We, we can't, you don't want to delay it all, but uh, you want to make sure you're, you're delaying enough. But again, going back to that, that 401k contribution, that bigger balance. So let's, let's say you did the 401k contribution and you saved outside in a regular brokerage account. You, on paper, you're going to look like you have more money. And that bigger balance may feel good, but it's causing you to pay higher fees and higher taxes in the future. And, and there's, there's a, a number of things that may make it so that you want less particularly estate tax planning. If you die with too much money, then you could be paying taxes on what's left over. And that hits double for 401ks and IRAs because you could potentially owe estate tax and you still owe the income tax on those accounts. So it's hard to say categorically today what the ideal plan is going to be because we do have a transition in the administration at, in, uh, in Washington. Uh, we've got a different composition to Congress. So we could have very different tax rules, tax amounts, tax brackets. We've, and we've talked about those in the past, Walter, with the, you know, all the tax hikes that they could impose without you know, overhauling legislation. And they've been, they've been sneaking a couple of these through here lately, one being the change in the required minimum distribution rules. Okay, so again, you're making contributions today. You think you're getting this big tax break today, and you're hoping to pull money out at a lower income tax bracket in the future. Well, if you paid attention last year, they changed the required minimum distribution age from 70 and a half to 72. There's 
proposals to take that age up to 75. And then the other one that probably doesn't get as much attention because it doesn't affect the IRA owners, it affects their non-spousal beneficiaries, is they've reduced the stretch IRA down to 10 years. Well, that all sounds like they're doing you a favor, right? You don't have to take required distributions until later. Do you feel good about that, Walter? I mean, it seems on the surface like it feels pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've got a couple more years. I can let my money stay tax deferred. It can continue to grow. Anytime and you're not forcing me to do something for a little bit longer. You know. <laughs> the, 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 the less force, the better, right? <laughs> right, exactly. But all of those things, they are not doing those to help you. They're doing the math and the tens of trillions of dollars that are sitting in 401ks, IRAs, 403bs, different retirement account types. They're eyeing that money for how they can get additional revenue. Well, if they're delaying required minimum distribution rules, it sounds like they're going to let you take less from your IRA or, or wait longer to take it. But if you do that, presumably the balance would be higher. And because you're older, life expectancy is shorter. And now, later in life, your required minimum distributions are going to be even higher. And that could totally screw up or... Uh, it could totally screw up the tax bracket that you expect it to be in and uh, could cause you to lose control of the, of the tax equation uh, much later in life. So I have seen several cases where people followed the logic. They put money into 401k accounts because that was sort of a restricted account. And this gets to, to the behavioral finance element of it. An account that is harder to get to, we will psychologically fence off that money and we do a far better job of not touching it. And we contribute to 401ks knowing that, oh, I can't get to that money till 59 and a half. And then by the time you reach 59 and a half, when maybe you're still working and still contributing, you've got that muscle built up and you're doing all that savings. And then you hit retirement and you're so good at disciplining yourself from touching that account that you wait until your 70s to start, start taking uh, distributions from it. Well, that all then compounds to all of those problems that I talked about. On paper, you have a bigger balance. But you're paying higher fees, you're potentially paying higher taxes, and this stuff could all come back around uh, to bite you. So interesting to see how sometimes there's these things that look good on the surface but have sort of these hidden consequences to them, some good examples of how that often takes place. And uh, RMD is kind of a good illustration of that, Brian. Yeah, you, you may not actually need them when you get there. And I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than having a conversation with a Oh, a gentleman, let's say, typically in their late 70s, maybe early 80s, it's winter, they're cooped up inside, they're, they're watching their polarizing news channel of the, of the day, and then all of a sudden they have to take a required distribution, they're getting the tax bill from it, and they're not needing the money for spending. That is a grumpy person who is, you know, it's a very unpleasant conversation to hear them try to get wrapped around, why, why do I have to take this now? I don't need it now. And, and uh, they're, of course, getting hit with, with this tax bill that they did not expect when they were making the contributions. So, you know, it goes back to if you're contributing money to the 401k and you're getting a higher take-home pay, are you actually saving into a brokerage account? Are you actually putting that money you know, away into another account or is that money finding a way to 
you know, kind of slowly slip away. And as much as I would like to think everybody's rational and is going to make the best decision, the simple fact of the matter is people are tending to get too much into 401ks, traditional IRAs, 403bs, and they're not diversifying their tax exposure into different account types. So, so think about it, just, just like you would diversify your investments. You'd have some U.S. stocks and some international stocks and some bonds and some treasuries and some preferred stocks and some real estate. You do that because these different investment types perform different ways at, at different times. Same thing with taxes. If you have a combination of brokerage accounts, tax-deferred retirement accounts, and then tax-free Roth money, then you have more flexibility in the future to as to when you take money out, how much you take out, you can take lump sums out without having to trigger big tax bills. There's all kinds of advantages to having this flexibility. And we we map this out in our, our, our latest paper, the 401k trap. We've got a section called the allocation optimizer, and it's just a way of visually representing which account types make up brokerage, tax-deferred, and tax-free accounts. And if you can hit 40% in regular taxable savings, 40% in IRA savings, and maybe 20% because the access to, to Roths is, is far more limited, if you could get 20% of your assets into that tax category, that's what we encourage people to shoot for. That's what we encourage to aim for. But if you don't have enough time to make dramatic changes to your contribution schedule, then we need to look at you know, the next five or 10 years and see if there are some ways that you can convert or accelerate the contributions to a Roth 401k or to a Roth conversion. By the way, if you want to download your free copy of the 401k trap, you can do that by going to retirementrescue.net, retirementrescue.net. We'll put a link in the description of today's show for you to find that easily. Again, that's retirementrescue.net. Download your own copy of the 401k trap. So good show so far, Brian, working our way through this conversation about behavioral finance, what that says about how we act, how we do things, why we do some irrational things, especially when it comes to our money. Then we've got the math side of the equation that tries to keep us rational and moving in the right direction and <laughs> making you know more logic-based decisions. And then you've been introducing this idea of, of taxes and talking about things like RMD rules and how that forces us to take out money, maybe taxes that we weren't expecting or don't want to have to account for or pay all of this building up to a reason to consider or at least look at in more depth, you know, contributing to a Roth and paying more taxes now rather than later. And that whole conversation of delayed gratification versus that instant reward that we're constantly going back and forth on. Um, where, where is then like the, the pressure point is the math comes into play and we have this conversation about, you know, balancing those two things of the behavioral finance side and the math side. Sure. So the phenomenon that I heard about or read about as far as behavioral finance is, depending on the account type or geography, we can make ourselves uh, ignore or leave alone, leave an account type alone. And, and one example, obviously, is the 401k. Like I said, you're putting money in there, you know you can't get it till 59 and a half. So, so you get very good at knowing that that money's off limits. The same phenomenon I have seen happen and, and have seen this documented that if you have an out-of-state checking account or savings account, so if you worked up in Michigan and you had the Michigan 
you know, employer credit union, you had a $100,000 savings account there. I've seen people move around, relocate, retire, and for some reason that money that is at an out-of-state bank never gets touched. It, it gets the same psychological treatment as that def tax-deferred account that people have it there, but they just, for some reason or other, they don't touch it. And what ends up happening is, is they're actually earning interest or dividends on that account. So they're getting the wrong type of dividend. But because they've psychologically walled off that money, they're very reluctant to make changes with it. It's kind of like a, you know, we watched Charlie Brown Christmas a couple times now that it's, it's streaming on Apple. And of course, Linus is always toting his blanket around. And that's, that's what it starts to feel like is a little bit of the security blanket. Just having this money that, yeah, you can get to it if you need to. It's nice to have an emergency fund, but uh, the Roth can actually serve a lot of those same purposes. So while you may be in, let's just take the example of someone who is in a higher income tax bracket. They're possibly in their peak earning years and they've got, you know, five or six years until retirement. The newest development are relatively, it's not brand new, but it, it's relatively new in, in being rolled out and accessible to retirement plans is the Roth 401k contribution. Now, most people set up their uh, employer plan. It probably defaults to the regular 401k, or you specifically have to tell it you want the Roth, but you have the window to maximize the contributions to a Roth with the 401k that you don't have with the regular contributory Roth, which is the Roth that you would contribute money to independent of your employer retirement plan. Okay, so if you've got income limits on how much you can contribute to a Roth, effectively those income limits go away with the Roth 401k contribution. Well, people say, well, I'm in my peak earning years. I don't want to, you know, I should be getting the tax deduction today. But if you go back to this uh, behavioral finance standpoint, well, I can get $19,000 plus the $6,000 catch-up contribution. And those numbers are, are constantly changing uh, anymore. So see what they are year to year. But that's $25,000 that you can contribute to a Roth. And all of that money is yours forever, you know, assuming they don't do something really crazy to change the rules. And you don't have to take required minimum distributions from that. So like having the out-of-state bank, like having the 401k, I'm just going to maximize the amount that I can get into the Roth 401k today. And if there's a cost to that in the short term, well, if that money had gone to my checking account, chances are it, it would find, I mean, with, with three girls and uh, my oldest daughter just turned 15, so she's going to be needing a car by the end of this year. And and uh, I, I have no doubt there will be plenty of, of expenditures on the, on the horizon. By allocating all of that money to the Roth 401k contribution, I know that even if I don't get to additional savings outside of there, all of that contribution goes in, all of it's going to be mine in the future. And if it grows, right, I'm not going to access this money for 15, 20, you know, potentially even longer, more years than that. And if that money has a chance to double every seven years, we talked about rules of thumb and, and money doubling, then I would rather pay tax on 25000 than 100000 
right? Because if you get two doublings, 25,000 becomes 50, 50 becomes 100. So my question becomes, would you rather pay tax today at our current rates or pay future tax rates, which do you think future tax rates are going to be higher or lower? Definitely higher. Definitely higher. Yeah, we're pumping trillions out the door right now. We're going to trillions are out the door. So we're going to have trillions to come back in at some point. Yeah, and unless you suddenly find the ability to print money, then um, uh, you're probably going to be paying higher taxes in in the future. So this future flexibility, uh, if you incorporate Social Security claiming strategies, and as I mentioned earlier, the estate planning issues, uh, I just, even if mathematically, you sit down with an accountant or I've sit down with other you know financial planners that are they're wonky with the the math and they say well you know technically it makes more sense well those are today's rules and I've seen them come back and bite actual clients because they you know the things we talked about they waited too long to take distributions they actually had too much in their 401k they got kicked into higher tax brackets suddenly unexpectedly and then that's double true for surviving spouses. When you drop down into the, the single filing brackets, uh, you could leave a surviving spouse in a dramatically higher tax bracket. So I don't think it's unreasonable to make the argument that we're going to go ahead and pay some tax today. We're going to make Roth 401k contributions or we're going to do Roth conversions. And we're going to lock in some flexibility and because of the reduction of the uh, IRA distribution rules for non-spouse beneficiaries, you know, they used to be able to stretch an IRA out over uh, till they're age 85. That's been condensed down to 10 years. Well, if you add up all of those factors, if, you're, if there's any chance that you're going to leave money to anyone, if there's any chance that you might need a lump sum distribution for uh, assisted care living or a, a big purchase down the road, the Roth IRA increasingly makes sense. And if they come in and raise capital gains tax rates, if they raise preferential dividend rates, uh, and those are all highly likely to happen, then again, it just bolsters the argument for trying to get or working to get money into the tax-free bucket today, if at all possible. So in in a lot of cases, there's going to just be overwhelming evidence and reason for people to really lean into the delayed gratification. As hard as it is to give up that tax deductibility now, in a lot of cases, I realize you've got to review somebody's individual case before making any specific recommendations, Brian. Throw a little disclaimer out there, right? But mm-hmm. uh, but in a, in a large amount of cases, it's going to make a lot of sense for people to really lean heavily into the Roth direction. Yeah. And, and whether that's in, in earnings years or if you've retired and you've yet to start claiming Social Security, there might be some opportunities. In the past, I had encouraged people to withdraw money from their 401k while they were in lower tax brackets, maybe delay their pension, delay their Social Security and and, and use a window of a few years to get some money out at a very low tax bracket. That made a lot of sense. What I'm advocating now is rather than withdrawing it and putting it into a brokerage account, do Roth conversions. Go ahead and, and pay the tax on that money. Get it into a favorable bucket because, you know, like I said, if, if dividends and capital gains are going to be taxed at a higher rate in, in the future, it makes the argument for the Roth that much stronger. Makes a lot of sense, Brian. Any final thoughts on how behavioral finance and math all lean us in this uh, direction? Uh, there, it's it's a fun and enter, entertaining topic if you want to do some research on it or check out the the book uh, Predictably Irrational that I talked about earlier. But 
I just uh, was trying to make the case for doing Roth 401ks to a bunch of math-oriented either financial planners or, or clients who are you know, maybe engineering types and, and we'll sit down and break down and, and analyze the cost and, and the benefits. And some people just refuse to do the Roth. They, they feel like it can't possibly be the right thing to do. And so sometimes we'll get them to split the difference, maybe do half Roth, half uh, traditional uh, 401k. So they're getting some tax deduction. Again, everybody wants that immediate payoff. Uh, and it's, it's more, a little more of a stretch to, to make the long-term calculation that guarantees that the Roth is going to be the right way to go. But I just, I think the writing's on the wall and you have to sort of trick yourself into saying, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and make a, a tax payment today. I'm going to bump up and max out that, you know, contribution window that I've got. And maybe my take-home pays a little bit lower. Maybe my after-tax savings a little bit lower, but I, I just genuinely believe that's going to pay off and, and be rewarded in the future. And we've, we've written about this uh, in our booklet, the 401k trap that we mentioned, and we've got uh, a download of that available at uh, retirementrescue.net if people want to go there and, and get a copy. Again, that's the 401k trap at retirementrescue.net, and we'll link to it in the show notes of today's program. Brian, it's interesting. I'm reflecting now here at the end of this episode on a decision that we made with my wife's 403b uh, mm-hmm. plan at work and her contributions into that plan. And in the past, it was more heavily in the, you know, take, take the tax deduction now, and, and, a, and it has a Roth option, but we were only doing a little bit into the Roth option. And a lot of that was just to counteract and, and balance out me owning a business and, you know, not paying, you know, W-2 wages and that kind of thing. We we're trying to balance mm-hmm. out some of my, you know, taxable things. So that was one of the reasons why we were helping take a little bit more of the burden off of that. But we made the decision this year to um, go ahead, and, and we started right off the bat on January 1, to start Roth contributions much more heavily in her plan. And so we flipped the script. So it's really, really heavy Roth. But it's interesting. We didn't go 100% Roth. And I think be, there was some of that behavioral element in there. It was like, you know what? Let's still at least put a little bit into the, uh, you know, in the pre-tax dollars. Mm-hmm. Just because it helped mentally to say we're still getting a nice little immediate gratification out of it, right? Like, yeah, it, yeah. it's like it's like when you're making a making making a cake and you get to you know lick a little bit of the batter <laughs> before you actually bake the cake, you know, or or the cookie dough. You have a little bit of that, and you're not supposed to do it, but you eat the raw cookie dough before you actually bake the cookie. You just get a little mm-hmm. bit of that instant gratification, but then the rest of it, you're being smart and putting it away for the delayed, the delayed well, and, gratification. And you don't, you don't want to make mistakes, obviously. You don't want to do the wrong thing. But as I look at it, again, if, if you start a, a job and you're younger, again, if you're you know, married and you have children and, and tax deductions, mortgage payments, and all those things, you may have been making uh, 401k contributions while you were in a very low tax bracket. And if you have now prospered and saved and, and you're going to have a good income and distributions in, in retirement, you may end up actually in a higher tax bracket. So some of the conventional wisdom really needs to be looked at, challenged, you know, share this with younger People in your family, if, it, if it's children or grandchildren who, who may have started out and they're just doing a little bit into 401k savings, I really, really believe that we should take more advantage of this, of this Roth category. And uh, if there's a cost of it today, yeah, I, I, I think we just have to say, so be it. And um, yeah, like you said, you're getting the tax break now. 
You're getting the higher take-home pay now. But I'll tell you what, if they raise payroll taxes, if they raise ordinary income tax rates, they raise dividend and capital gains tax rates, those are the variables that people can't, we can't know them today, but you have to plan on the reality is those are all likely to be higher in the future. I think you give some great perspective. That's exactly why it's good to get your individual situation evaluated and uh, so that you can get some uh, you know, a second opinion on where you are now, where you're headed into the future. And it's a great reason why you should pick up your free copy of the 401k trap so you can learn a little bit more about this. Make sure you're educated on the topic. Go to retirementrescue.net to get the 401k trap. That's retirementrescue.net. Uh, other great resources also available to you there. And uh, boy, we invite you back to listen to another episode of the show. We're going to have lots of good topics and conversations on tap for 2021. Uh, going to be an interesting year of conversation, and I have a feeling some many changes with the presidential changeover coming down the pike, Brian, that we'll be evaluating and talking about here on the show as well. So looking Indeed. forward to doing all of that with you and uh, much more in future episodes. Thank you, sir. Yeah, and, and let me just, uh, as one more final point, if you don't want to download an electronic copy of, of the 401k trap, or if you're suspicious of putting your name into to websites, give us a call. We'll, we'll mail you a copy. We had some printed, and we've got them here in the office as well. There you go. Yeah, you can do that. 706-451-9800 is the number. That's 706-451-9800 if you want to do it the old school way and call yeah, perfect. And a paper copy. Yeah, that works great. Uh, Brian, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again on the next episode. Sounds great. Thanks, Walter. All right, that's Brian Doe. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Doe Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.